I'm going to look at the subject of supernatural, uh, supernatural love. So if you have a Bible, could you please turn to 1 Peter chapter 1 and verses 22. Uh, if you're a visitor, we're going through the book of 1 Peter. Uh, so the subject uh, is, is in the passage uh, rather than we've put, picked them out uh, thematically. And uh, so we're looking at 1 Peter chapter 1 verses 22 to 25. Where it says, Having purified your souls by your obedience to the truth, for a sincere brotherly love, love one another earnestly from a pure heart. Since you've been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable, through the living and abiding word of God. For all flesh is like grass, and it's all its glory like the flower of grass. The grass withers and the flower falls, but the word of the Lord remains forever. And this word is the good news that was preached to you. Uh, the emphasis of this particular passage is bound up in one statement, verse 22, love another earnestly. Love another, well, sorry, love one another earnestly. Everything else uh, in this passage hangs round that very, very basic principle. And what I would like to do this morning is that I'd like to look at the whole subject of love, uh, how that works in the church and that sort of stuff. But I'd like to come from it from a theological perspective. The reason that I want to do that is often when you're preaching on love, that there is at least a third of the congregation that feel that they are unloved and this church is not loving. And as soon as I'm on that subject, that's where you are. So I want to come from it theologically so that our argument is not about people, but actually it's to us all about what does the Word of God say about this. The other side that I want to come at it theologically for is that often you can find that if I give you wonderful illustrations of how I love Steve and all the acts that I've done as a demonstration of love towards Steve... It sounds really interesting, but actually you can go and find those acts of love in any club and society that the world puts together because the world does actually express itself in terms of love and acts of love. And uh, I don't know whether any of you are, are watching uh, the, the, the thing on a Saturday night where they all do that funny dance thing. Are you watching that? Uh, I have thought about us as elders doing it next year because I thought that would be good uh, for Steve and I to do that. But I, every, when they go through, they eventually take you to a clip and they take you into Africa where they encourage us to do acts of love. And the question that we get very confused in in, in regard to is where those barriers uh, occur and where the lines draw. So what I would like to do is take it from a purely biblical perspective so there's no lines that go beyond the Bible and no emotions that are, are outside of that Bible, uh, as it were. So here we go. That's where I'm going. So I want to look at first love's ever-increasing circles. Loving each other is a principle which you will agree uh, appears in the New Testament 
time and time again. And I'm not going to labour the point and take you through uh, the passages of them. There are dozens and dozens of passages that are there. But what I would like to do is just use one passage uh, to, to back up the statement. It is important to love one another, as our passage says, earnestly. And it is important that we do that so that we show the love of Jesus and the product of the love of Jesus is that all of us, hear this, all of us benefit. All of us are blessed. All of us are encouraged. All of us are strengthened. All of us are assisted in the church. But having said that, loving one another is not an end in itself. Uh, It's not only for the church, but actually it is for the world. It reaches out of the church for the world. John 13, verse 34, Jesus said this, A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another just as I have loved you, you also love one another. That's quite a statement, isn't it? As Jesus has loved, I want you to love. There it goes. That's the bottom line of it. But then the statement carries on. That statement was similar to the one that we've read in 1 Peter. Look, you know, sincere brotherly love and all that sort of stuff. Now we get the verse 35. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. It's a world thing. We are known and seen as the disciples of Jesus Christ on the basis of our love for one another. John 17 verse 21, Jesus is praying that they may be one. Just as you, the Father, are in me and I in you, that they may be in us. So that the world may believe that you have sent me. It sounds very basic, but the principle is very important that Jesus is saying that not only does the world know that we belong to Christ, but the world will know that God sent Jesus Christ into the world on the basis of our love for one another. That is really important that we grasp it. That suddenly our love for one another reveals the sentness of Jesus. We're to love one another because it benefits each other, it benefits the watching world, and it attracts people to Jesus and the gospel. Because the, the essence of the gospel is this person, this, this person, uh, this, the Son of God being sent into the world. That is part of the gospel. So we can see that we are called to a love that goes far beyond us. And one of the problems uh, that the church has has often had uh, in its existence, right through its forming, is actually that love stays in the confines of the church. And I just want to say here, I don't want that to be here. I don't want us to be great and loving people just in here. That's not really what we're about. Why am I saying that? Because it's not the gospel. It's not the gospel. So let's move on then and look at agape love. Now with that in mind, 
Uh, keep looking back at, at 1 Peter again. The word love here comes from uh, the word agapeo, which means basically to love by choice. It's the love of will. And actually, if you look at it in Greek terms, this is the highest love possible. The agape love. I will choose to love you. Wow. And yet it's the highest one. It's not a love of feeling. It's not a love of emotion. And it's not a love of physical attraction. But it is a love of choice. You make a choice. You use your will. I will choose Steve Hawkins to love you. I will make a decision. I will make a promise, is the word. I will covenant to love you. I will do that before God. I will do that before the people. I will say, I will love these people. I will enter into a covenant. You will remember the Old Testament horrible version about slicing animals and we won't go there to make a covenant in half and all that sort of stuff. But I do want you to know that it is a covenant thing. It is a, it is a thing of the will. But you're going to say to me, isn't that rather strange and heartless? Doesn't that sort of... You know, I just choose to to love Rupert, you know. Okay, then I'll just love you, Rupert. Isn't that rather heartless? I want you to remember that this section in which he's calling for a proper response is actually something to do with salvation. The first uh, verses of chapter 1, Peter describes salvation. And then he asks for a response to that salvation. And starting in verse 13, there is a response to this salvation. So from 13 to 18, uh, we get the response. And the response is, because I have been saved, because I've been plucked out, because I'm part of this family of God and all that sort of stuff. And it tells us what it does. He says, I will glorify him. Now that's actually a choice. I will glorify him because he's done this. I will glorify him because he's done this. I will Hope in him. Because he's done this, I will worship him. And we're looking at the glory, the hope, the worship. And actually, this is one another of those things that are in response to a great salvation. We understand all the early ones because we go, yeah, great salvation, I will glorify him. Great salvation, I will honor him. Great salvation, I will worship him. But it goes on and it says, and great salvation, we will earnestly love one another. And you go, oh, really? Mm, okay. But actually, this is the response to the gift of salvation. Is it a choice? It is the choice to worship. It is the choice to honor in the same way, to honor him and to worship him and to glorify him without loving one another is not worship in itself. Do you see that? You can worship the Lord on a Sunday morning and not love one another earnestly. And what Peter is saying is, this is not worship. It's not worship. It's not agape love. It's not, we need to develop that a little bit further and we'll do that a little bit later. So I want to ask you a question. What choices have you made in regard to love? Have you chosen to love. 
God's love is poured out into our lives. What a lovely expression. Because the question is, how on earth can I choose to love a person like Nigel Lloyd? Now, Callie finds it reasonably easy some of the time. She finds it a little bit difficult because I am one of these people that never closes a drawer perfectly. I always leave it at least half inch out. The reason that I believe that is that if I've got this drawer with, say, my jumpers in, my logic with this is that it just lets the air flow in and out. Just, just, it, just, it makes, a, when I get on, I, they smell like the fresh air of the day. They don't smell like, you know, they've been febrezed or something and locked up in this sort of stuff. But you see, the, the, Kelly finds this extremely difficult. And I can always tell when I've left them open because it's that loud bang and bang again of upstairs. So how can you love a person called Nigel Lloyd? If you look at verse 22, it says this, Having purified your souls by your obedience to the truth for a sincere and brotherly love, love one another earnestly from a pure heart since you have been born again. Now you were born again, I believe, supernaturally it was a work of God the nature of God has been placed into your heart God is in you that's what happens when you were saved so now we actually do things very differently Uh, the underlying thing is this because God is in us therefore we can love supernaturally Love one another earnestly from a pure heart since you've been born again. But is that in the scripture, Nigel? Yes, it is. At the moment of your salvation, you were supernaturally uh, enabled to love. That's what happened. God didn't just save you. He put something else of his nature in you. We can see that because in Romans chapter 5, verses 5, it says, it says that the, the love that God poured out into our lives, that God poured his love into us. He's, he said, right, this, this is what's going to happen now. Imagine that. That's what has actually happened, that God has placed his love in our hearts. Don't you find that amazing? So, you know, can Callie love me? Yes, of course she can. Because if it was just up for Callie to love me, then we wouldn't make it. But we can love each other because there's more than just this thing of, well, we just, you know, it's more than drawers. It's a supernatural thing that is going on here. And that's not my drawers, by the way. No, I don't want to go into Look, clean it up at the back, please. See, the moment of our new birth we were given the capacity to love. To love is supernatural because it's linked to salvation, which is supernatural. It's his love, not ours. It's his love. Why do we know that? Because it says it in the Bible, God is love. God is love. That's the thing. I always say that when we're dealing with people that are getting married. It isn't that you fell in love. No, God caused you to love the other person. Well, I just, we just sort of met each other and went hoo-hoo, and that was it. You didn't go hoo-hoo at all. No, it was a magnificent, supernatural work of God. That's why. So I only say, well, hold on, I've fallen out now. What? 
Has the supernatural God stopped working then? That's the truth of it it's all. You know, you wanna, I just don't like them anymore. What do you mean you don't like them? You know, go. The, the love of God was poured out into your hearts. It's going back to the church. I've just chosen not to now. In fact, if you look at 1 John chapter 1, we can see that it goes on a little bit further and links this through to salvation. John in 1 John says, if we don't love one another, we are not the children of God. So he's almost saying, if you don't love one another, it's actually a question whether you are saved or not. Well, that's serious, isn't it, when he says that? See the connection? So we've received the truth, we've received the gospel, we've obeyed it, we've been born again, and now we have this Holy Spirit-given capacity to love. It's in you. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 9. Now, concerning brotherly love, You have no need for anyone to write uh, to you. For you yourselves have been taught by God to love one another. God has placed it in your hearts. That is magnificent. God is at work in us, teaches us to love one another with the very love that God has has poured into our lives. We have the capacity to love because God is in us. To love is indicative of your new birth. It's just connected. Sincere love. Back into verse 22. Peter notes that the description of this love is sincere. Sincere. What does that mean? It's the, the Greek for this is lovely. I just love it. I'll just give you the words. What does sincere love look like? Unhypocritical love. Not fake. Not False, not shallow, not superficial, not phony, but what? Genuine, real, something that's not forced, something that is not simply outward appearance. It is love without hypocrisy. That true love is produced by the work of the Spirit in us. I was away a few uh, days ago, as you know, in Whitchurch, and uh, I... There's a little bit of uh, angst, as it were, leading up to my preaching because I was going to preach on the baptism of the Spirit and the gifts of the Spirit. Uh, and one of the things that was the little bit to do the, the little bit of angst was, you know, is just being filled with the Spirit about tongues and prophecy? Is it just about that? And here it is. No, it isn't just about that at all. Because, you know, it is a mark of the work of the Spirit in us. So actually, you know, sometimes when we say, you know, please come forward and be prayed for to be filled with the Spirit. And not only is that tongues or prophecy. No, sometimes it is because when we're filled with the Spirit, we just love. We love more and more. We just is part of it because that's what the Spirit does for us. You know, we shouldn't ever, you know, I don't know whether you see those meetings. You know, you know people like, you know, what happens is that people like me panic. They, you know, they have this word and then you, then you sort of have it again four times. And actually, you know, please come before we fill with the Spirit. We all ought to be there. And actually, the preacher needs to turn around as well and be prayed for. There ought to be a lack of response for being filled with the Spirit. But here is a good one. Here's a good reason to be filled with the Spirit. So that we, so that if you like, the love of God is activated in us. So who are we to love? Verse 22 says, it says, to love one another, sounds simple, but, uh, but to whom? It says, a sincere brotherly love. 
Now, I just want to say this, ladies, this is nothing to do with toilet seats or anything like this. Uh, when the Bible talks about brothers, it, it isn't just a male thing. It's about us all. We're to love our brothers. But it is, what it's referring to here is a family connection. So it's, uh, the word is Philadelphia, which is good if you live in America. I've just popped that in for Claire. Uh, next week, I'm going to mention Dallas. Uh, and then as the weeks go, we're all going to mention just a different city just so that you make you feel at home. So this is the word Philadelphia, um, just for Claire. It has no Greek reference whatsoever. It's just so that Claire can smile, but actually it does. Uh, and it tells us here that we have been the, given the capacity to love in a new way. And the new way is that this is Philadelphia means family. It is family. The Spirit of God is now working in us and is expressed towards a new family. The Spirit wells up within us, stirs us in our heart, causes us to love, and we love to a new family. It is extraordinary because the church is literally this, isn't it? It is the family of God. When you put people together, you put people from different nations, ages, different socioeconomic backgrounds, you know, people like me and all that sort of stuff. And, you know, when you get all that together, you think, how on earth can they love? It's because God's love is poured in our heart. The spirit activates us. And the response to that is to love the family. That's the wonderful thing here. So we write back to John 13, 31. We're to love one another so that men will know that we belong to Christ and that we are the new family on earth. We represent a different family. I don't represent the Lloyd family. I represent the family of God. My secondary thing is that I'm a Lloyd. My primary thing is that I'm a part of the family of God. My family is Gateway Church Wrexham. My local family is the Christians that gather in Wrexham. My nation family is Wales. Go on and on and on. And my worldwide family is the believers right across the world. I'm in a new family now. So I'm going to behave in my new family as appropriately as I should. So what does, this, what does this therefore mean in John 1, uh, 3, verse 16? By this we know uh, love, that he laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers, for the family. That's quite serious, isn't it? What does that mean? Well, does it mean that you will lay down your life for Steve Hawkins? The answer to that is both yes and no. The answer to that is that in the times that this was written, you may well have laid down your life to be a part of the family of God. You may well have done. And it is an interesting thing, isn't it, when you're asking, how much do I love Steve Hawkins? Do I love him enough to lay down my life for him? I will, you know, I, I don't think I can love like that. That's how Jesus loved But the answer to that, just to give you a little bit of a relief, is that verse 17 explains uh, of uh, 1 John 3.16. It says, But if anyone has the world's goods and sees his brother in need, yet closes his heart to him, how does God love abide in him? So the answer actually, much to the relief of not laying your life down for Steve, 
and the disappointment of Steve is that, is that uh, John puts it in these terms. If anyone has the world's goods and sees his brother in need, yet chooses in his heart against him, how does God love abide in him? Wow. It's interesting. So one of the great evidences of our love will be what we share with one another. Yeah. So Steve, the murk is mine. It just is. But actually, I'm all right because so are two Bentleys and a Rolls. <laughs> They've come over. By the end of the day, my car park will be full. I am just going to wait in anticipation. But what, what, what Peter will say is that you can also have the bills that go with them, I'm sure. So perhaps I'll stick to the old Picasso. Uh, there you go. But one of the great evidences of that, we have a new ground of affection. And our ground of affection is that our love exceeds earthly relationships and earthly limitations. And we express our need to one, uh, we express ourselves in meeting other people's needs. I just I want to develop that a little bit later and come back to it. John 15:12 says this, this is my commandment that you love one another as I have loved you. Then he adds, no greater love uh, has no one this than someone lay down his life for his friends. Sacrificial love. Do you know I think and I'm just going to get myself in trouble with all sorts of mission agencies here. I think falsely that the church does sometimes think that it must uh, develop evangelistic technique, clever methods, even gimmicks to generate events that will attract the unbeliever when actually something very powerful is right under our noses. That when people, when we're actually staring us in the face, in the face is a very simple way for people to see Jesus and that is by expressing our love by meeting one another's needs. That when we do that, when we do that, when we lay down our life for one another, when we give, that what happens is that the gospel is proclaimed and people see it and are amazed by it and are pointed. And I think a lot about it sometimes because I, I, I do go to these pastors' meetings uh, and sometimes these pastors' meetings have what I call the spiritual results tables. And the spiritual results tables is how many your church is grown by, how many have been saved, and how many missions that you have in your church. And you go there, and I must admit, as a guy that's just leading a, a fairly young church, you know, that sort of stuff, the, the impact that it has on me is that I, I just feel bad. I, I just feel awful about it because, you know, people say, you know, well, we had this on this course, we had 93 saved, and we've got 73 you know, uh, missions in our church and all that sort of stuff. And, and, they, and you just think, no, please do not come round to me. And, and often, I've, I'll be honest, I've often prayed, I've said, Lord, you know, give, give me one thing I can get my teeth into. I've prayed it probably over the last year. Lord, I just want one thing. Give me one thing. And, and, I, and, I've, and I've prayed it a lot. And, and one or two of you come to me, you know, where do you feel that you want to go? And I keep saying, and I've, I'm very nice with you and say, I can't, I'm praying about it. And then you will go, yeah bottling it you know that means fudging it and I've really prayed and I honestly have prayed Lord give me one thing that we can get our teeth into and say this is what Gateway Church does in the community and I've, I've done I've been praying that one 
agonizingly, honestly, over the last few things. One of the things that I believe that we mustn't uh, move over is that when new folk and when new Christians come into our midst, if we have got our act together, then they will see the love of Christ in our lives. And that is the most basic but most brilliant testimony of all. When we love, what we do is a characteristic of the redeemed nature of the church and demonstrates the gospel and shows Jesus laying down his life. And it's interesting, isn't it? Because what we do is that we, we bring people to guest services. And if you're like me at guest services, I'm just at my worst at a guest service because all the pressure is on, you know. And I just, I know you're all going to say, it's not about you, Nigel. I know it's not about me, but I just feel it. Or I'm just, just honest here. I always feel it. And actually, what, what, the, what, the, uh, what, the, what John is saying here is actually people can get saved by what they see amongst us. They see something of a redeemed nature, of the love of God. They see something of the gospel. They see demonstrated Jesus laying down his life and it leads them to it. So we've just got this thing where we can love one another. And do the other thing, by the way, which we must. So we'll, now I've left some of these things hanging. I will finish the statements a little bit later on. So we've had a sincere love. We now have earnest love. She's not earnest wise, but earnest love. That was just for the older ones, and the older ones didn't get it. Um, so I just died. How are we to love? The word is earnestly or fervently. The Greek word is the Greek ektenis. It's a philosophical word. It speaks of uh, the anatomy, and it speaks of uh, animals as well as men. And it means to stretch yourself to the limit. It means to stretch to your muscles' capacity. It means to go to the furthest point if you are walking and running. It means to move something to its maximum limit. For Steve Hawkins, if you're a horse and cart, it would be to drive it to a limit. But if you're a Mercedes driver, it's to put your foot down and just keep it there. That would be yours, although that's not mentioned in the Greek. It's just about horses and carts. So, but it's, it's a very graphic term. It means metaphorically to go all out, to reach every limit of love that you can reach. It's there. So it shows us what, what we should be doing. It doesn't mean that you just do this you know, at low level. It means that you do it at high level. And it's because it's demonstrating Jesus. Jesus didn't die low level, did he? Breeze to the cross. No, he didn't. He set his face like flint towards Jerusalem. The, we know the agony of the cross. We know the extent of the cross. It wasn't, oh, well, I'm just passing by while I'm in Jerusalem. I'll just do this death thing and then carry on. It wasn't like that. It was stretched to the limit. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? That's the cry from the cross. It is stre- he is stretched to the limit as he's bearing the sin of the world. You see this where Jesus said to Peter, Shall I forgive them seven times? And Jesus said, no, I want you to forgive them 70 times seven. Oh, what? It's an interesting one for a sermon, isn't it? Forgiveness, 70 times. It's this, I want you to forgive, stretch to the limit. I want you to love, stretch to the limit. I don't know whether you've given up on love. Same word, 
by the way, is used in Luke 22:44, where it says that Jesus was praying in the garden. He was in agony when he was praying, as we know. And he prayed so fervently that the Bible describes that his sweat became like drops of blood falling to the ground. It's the same word. It means that he was extended, extended in prayer. It means that he was stretched to the limit in praying. And if you remember, he was saying, Lord, you know, can you, will you take this cup from me? He knew what he was going to go through. He knew the agony of the next few hours. He knew, he knew what would be facing him in the cross. And he prays and he, he's, Lord, you know, I've got to go through this. I've got to face through this. And he's praying. And it's like he was praying to the limit. Stretched to the limit. Same word, Acts chapter 12, verse 5, where Peter says that uh, was kept in prison, if you remember that. Uh, but the prayer for him, it says, was made earnestly by the church. They were literally praying to the limits that their faith could stretch them. So what was happening were two things. Let's be honest about this. They did not think that Peter would come out alive. They thought their brother and their leader and their friend was dead. That's what they thought. So they gathered and they said, Peter, Peter's in prison. And suddenly it galvanized the people. And I don't know whether you've been on the point of thinking, my friend, is, he could die here. We, we don't want this. And also they're thinking, well, how does that figure with the church? Where does that figure in regard to the gospel and the nations of the world and all that sort of stuff? All of those things. It is desperate agony. The church just didn't say, well, we'll have a prayer meeting. It's at seven o'clock. At, at, you know, it's this sort of thing. You better come out here. We are in real trouble. So they come out. Now, when you've got people that are in real trouble, they don't pray sanctified theological prayers, do they? They pray from their heart. And you can imagine these prayers, can't you? In this room as they're praying for Peter to be released. I mean, the strange thing is, of course, that's where the doors open and he appears back and they go, oh, he's arrived. You know, but if you can get the, if you can get the, sort of the, the picture of it, suddenly there's this group of people and they're in this room and they are stretched to the limit in prayer. They don't know how to pray. It's sometimes one of those, you just wonder whether this is one of those occasions where, you know, when I don't know what to pray and I just pray in tongues. You know that one? You know, so big. I don't know, I've got a clue here, just pray in tongues. It's that sort of stuff. I mean, wonderful uh, uh, illustration of, of this Greek word, ektenis. There's a commentator called Hort. Great name. He says this, All genuine love is a principle and he's founded on the perception of a permanent relation uh, as opposed to a self-pleasing casual and short-lived impulses which have but an imperfect right to name, to use the name love. Our word ectenos or ectenos either form expresses the manifest character of genuine love. It is steady and unremitting the birth from above is the only uh, consistent and rational justification of such love. And the ever-flowing stream of life from above, from the living and abiding God, at once de- demands this character in love and renders it all possible. It is the life in God, a life of God in man, which raises the love of man for man to its highest power power wow 
Let me just finish that statement. It is the life of God in man which raises the love of man for man to its highest power. Wonderful stuff. God, look what God means that I can do. Isn't that marvellous? I, I have so great difficulty loving West Bromwich Albion supporters. They wear stripes for a beginning. What is that? Stripes. Just makes you go cross-eyed. And blue and white. And what have they got as a logo? A bird. Bird. Uh, what do they call the bird? Throstle. What is that? Come on. I just hope there's no whisper. You know, that's, what have we got? The Wolverhampton Wanderers. What have we got on our logo? We've got the Bible. God is with us. We wear proper colours. Not all these people that wear blue and white. Anybody wear blue and white, red and white? So Sabutia was blue or red. Or, you know, choose a unique colour. Don't just blue or whatever. Well, I did difficult. It's just difficult. But, but, even for Swansea supporters, Rupert, it is the life of God in man which raises the love of man for man to its highest power. Even I can love a West Brom supporter, you can love a Swansea City supporter. I will expect that statement twittered in an hour. <laughs> Your expressing of love, for, just write it down, Rupert, good man. <laughs> if, if it's not done, the other people that Twitter in this room will Twitter you. It's... Loving at the limit. It's loving the ex- uh, at the extremity. It's love that stretches as far as you could possibly reach. Listen to this. How many times have you known this? Luke 10, 27. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength and with all your mind and love your neighbour as yourself. Let's just write, rewrite that again. Don't love the Lord your God with all your heart. Don't bother to do it with your soul. Don't do it with all your strength. Don't activate your mind and don't bother about your neighbour. What? Okay. You're to stretch your love, to love God with all your loving capacity that you have. I'm going to love you, Lord, with my heart. You're going to get my whole heart. You're going to get my whole soul. You're going to get my mind. You're going to get my strength. And then he says, you're to stretch your love to your neighbour in the same way that you love God. They are connected, you know. They are really connected. Here's the first line of connection. It will help you to love your brother if you are an excellent worshipper. Don't be disengaged in worship because it disengages you with people. You see the two? There, love God powerfully will help you to love God Help people, love people, you know. And then Jesus explains and he said, who is, uh, who is the, the neighbour then? Which is the question they ask. And he said, if, I, if, I, uh, if you want to understand that, I'm going to tell you a story. And he starts, doesn't he? Remember the story? A certain man was going down uh, from Jerusalem to Jericho and he fell amongst mo- robbers and they stripped him and beat him and, and left him half dead. And you know the story of the Good Samaritan. And the point is, who is my neighbour? And here's the first thing. Anyone in your path that has a need. That's the first thing. Anybody in your path that has a need. We're to love one another. How do we love? We love to the limit of our capacity. 
How does that apply to you, you say? Because you will probably say to me, yeah, but I haven't seen anybody lying in the road this morning. There wasn't that somebody. Actually, the truth is that Callie and I did once coming back from church. We, we stopped the car and Callie goes, boy, in road. And I go, like, so and we get out and there's this kid in road. And we go, this is it. This is our loving thy neighbor bit. You know, so we get out and we, we go, are you all right? And he said, yes, I'm just lying here. And we thought, I nearly killed about 20 people. I just thought I would lie here. I thought, well, okay. So that's just true. But, you know, you're just thinking that. But anyway, let me just say this. I want to ask you some questions. I believe that there actually there are people amongst us that have real need and you just don't know. And I believe actually there are people that have come to church this morning and have real need and they won't tell you. Some people will come to church and they will tell you everything. Some people will come and not tell you. So how do you know who has got real need unless you go and find out? Unless you approach them? And it is just really interesting that you can find the obvious ones because they will tell you. But I just want to do a flag up for the ones that won't. There will be people that will come here to church week after week after week and they just won't tell you. They're still in need. They're in need, they just don't say. Who do you know that has real need? Let me ask you some questions. Do you know anybody that may be just struggling financially? Do you know anybody that is just struggling emotionally? Do you know anybody that's struggling spiritually? Do you know anybody that's struggling maritally? Who do you know that's struggling in any number of ways or many ways? Who do you know that is a, a widow in need? They're in the Bible. Who do you know that's a single parent trying to raise a child all on their own or even children? Who do you know that has got two children? all on their own, just sitting amongst us right now? Who do you know that is an orphan, a foster child? Who do you know that's struggling with a tragedy and has never said anything to you? Who do you know that is facing the onset of a a serious illness or even the death of a spouse? Who do you know that lives with illness? Who do you know that has has been in hospital or may end up in a home? Who do you know that is in sin? Who do you know that is just lonely? And maybe I've probably said too much, but those are the ones that I was just thinking about. Maybe you just don't look. Maybe you just don't look. Pure love is from the Spirit. I said I would answer some of the questions later. This does it. We're moving uh, towards the, the end. Peter says, the kind of love is stretching, it's intense, it's unrelenting, it's sacrificial love, it reaches out. And uh, it's not so much as a requirement. No, look at it. It isn't that you've 
well, I've got to love now. It means what becoming a Christian is about. No, it isn't. You don't, it's, you know, it comes from a pure heart. It's not external. It's not something you have to be compelled legalistically to do. It's something compelled from within. It's got a pure motive. The Holy Spirit is a holy person. comes out of purity. It's actually not about what you will get from what you do. It's about what you will give. (laughs) Do you hear that? It's a pure motive. Sometimes people want to do something for somebody so that they will get something back. It's not about that. I actually believe that God can help us to have that kind of compassion. But it must be, and it is what Jesus had in mind, and, and sorry, when Paul had in mind, when he wrote to Timothy, the aim of our charge is love that issues from a pure heart and a good conscience and a sincere faith. Isn't that lovely? That's how I want you to love. Must be the kind of love that is from the spirit within, comes up that way. <laughs> how can it come? How can I do that? You mustn't manipulate people to love you. You mustn't buy their favour. Isn't about you just must do it, full stop. How can that come from within inside? The answer is it's the fruit of the spirit. And how do you know? and experience the fruit of the Spirit. Galatians 5, we walk in the Spirit, he'll produce the Spirit, right? It's back to that same thing. So the answer is, one of the answers is, we need to get our lives under the control of the Holy Spirit. We need to be filled with the Spirit probably more than we are, because our, our lack of love is not a description of our lack of love, it's a description of our lack of being filled with God. So you can't say, I am filled with God and then behave like this. Do you hear that? Because that's what people say. Oh, God's speaking to me about this and God's doing this and God's doing that. And then over here, they're doing that. No, that's not right. If you're full with God, you don't do that. That's, that's the truth. Some people do that. So, oh, well, I'm just feeling this with God. God's blessing me here. And then I'm behaving like it. No, it doesn't work like that. No, the fruit of the Spirit is, is the product of the Spirit. If you are walking with God, it produces fruit of the Spirit. That's it. You need to get yourself under the control of the Spirit. The issue that you are facing is not the peripheral issue. It's the issue of not being filled with God. It comes from the heart. It's part of our call to love supernaturally because the Spirit does that. It's supernatural, the Spirit. But we also, I must say, have the capacity to not love, don't we? <laughs> if we're honest with one another. You know, I just look somewhere, and I don't want to do this here, but, you know, I can say this. In, sometimes in, in my previous church, I, I just find some people more easier to love than others. It's just the case. And, and I know that. And the reason is that if I analyze it for myself, I know that I am uh, sinful. <laughs> my sin comes out in the way that I am, I am like that. Then... The Spirit will produce, I know, the Spirit will produce a love from my heart that help, will help me to reach out to all. It's part of that, that call. We have the capacity to, to, to sin, but also we have the capacity to overcome sin and love. You listen to these from Philippians, Philippians 1, 9. It's my prayer that you, your love may abound more and more with knowledge and great discernment. Hmm. 1 Thessalonians 3, 11 and 12. Now, may the Lord uh, God our Father himself and our Lord Jesus Christ direct 
our way to you. And may the Lord make you increase and abound in love for one another as for all, as we do for you. 2 Thessalonians 1 and 3. We ought to always give thanks to God for you, brothers, as it is right, because your faith is growing abundantly and the, and the love of every one of you uh, for one another is increasing. Oh. Paul's prayer is, I just want to see more. I want to see it extended. I want to see it expanded. Uh, and he's, what he's saying is, that as the God works upon us, our love expands. And Paul's writing about that. He's saying, I can see it. I can, I'm looking at it. As the Spirit of God moves on different people. He's saying, ah, look, it's happening. I'd like to suggest and say that love is at your initiative. Why do we love like this? Verse 23, since you've been born again. You're to love like this because it's consistent with your new life. And when you were born again, it was not a seed which is perishable, but a seed that is imperishable. Verse 23, you've been born again at a decisive moment. It's wonderful. Let's just take you back for a second before we apply it. An event in redemptive history happened to you. You were transformed from darkness into light, from blindness into sight, from the kingdom of Satan into the kingdom of, the, of your dear son. Your old life died, your new life is alive, and it was all of God's work. The verb that is used here is passive. What does that mean? You were born again. You did not give birth yourself. God did it. God did it. It was an irresistible work of grace. It was the work of God. Remember these verses in where Jesus talks to Nicodemus and he says, the wind blows where it wishes and you hear the sound of it, but you do not know where it comes and where it is going. So everyone that is who is born of the Spirit, God came after you. It's the Spirit that comes. Remember Ephesians 2.1, you were dead in your trespasses and sins and God came after you. He made you alive. He did it. And this is a very important doctrine in regard to love. We used to sing an old song. I loved it because it used to remind me of what happened. We used to sing, he did not wait for me to cry out to him. You know, and and, what it, and we, I used to love that song. It used to remind me of what it means to be born again. What it means to be born again is that I did nothing. God did everything. I was here. God chased me. God grabbed me by the scruff of the neck, actually, and brought me into the kingdom of God. I am, you are, a work of the sovereign act of God. You are supernaturally saved by God. What does that mean? It means that he took the initiative on every one of you. And he didn't let go until you were saved. What does this mean in regard to love? It means that I take the initiative, folks. If I am born again, I am initiator of love. Because I have been born again of the Spirit. I've been born again of God. I am demonstrating the work of God in my life when I take the initiative just for the sake of taking the initiative. For God so loved the world. For Nigel so loved. That, that's it. We, we are initiators of, of the love of God. That's how it works. It is wonderful, folks. Now, sometimes you, you can't sit there. If you are all initiators and we're all initiators of the love, it comes to us. Eventually, somebody will come to you and love you. 
It's that wonderful thing. If we all say, no, it's my responsibility not to sit here and say, I'm not loved. But actually to say, I'm a born again Christian, so I'm a born again lover. I'm gonna, that's the way. And when you do that, when you behave like somebody that's born again, it comes up the bum and you get loved. Because it just comes around in a circle. That's the wonderful thing. Because what happens is that Rupert loves and Steve loves and he goes down the line eventually. And in the end, what happens over here is the good, good old AJ comes over here and loves him. But he first casts his eye that way. And that's the bonus of it. If you are casting your eye saying, nobody's loving me, it does not work. Because what you have to do is go that before that comes running to you. That's born again Christianity. I know there's a bit serious on that. But so love at your seat. Love at your initiative. Love brings eternity. Heaven on earth. How was it affected? It was accomplished, verse, that you have been born again. How did God do it? With a seed which is, per- which is perishable. What? No. What does he mean? Well, no human birth you know. Your new birth was affected by an imperishable seed. It's an, an earth, not an earthly one, not a human one. It's a heavenly one. So when the Spirit engages and we love, we bring heaven on earth. He's talking about God. God produced that new life in us. When you love biblically, you bring eternity into the situation. You bring a heaven. Ask yourself, what remains, on earth, what remains in heaven? Love is the only thing that remains. That's the extraordinary thing. Love. When you love in the way that is described biblically here, you bring heaven to somebody's situation. Isn't that wonderful? I can bring heaven on earth to somebody. Taste of heaven. I can bring something imperishable. I can cast away the perishable. But it's bought what? Through the words of God. What does that mean? Two things here. Uh, One for the theologians amongst you just to wake up in conclusion. And uh, two things here. Jesus is the word of God and we know that from 1 John. So we're not just giving somebody a hug. Hear that. We're not just giving them a loaf of bread. It's more than that. The better help is always to combine what you do with the reality and the power of the person of the word, Jesus Christ. If you don't do that, what you do is that you just bring a little bit of help. Help is good, but what the person needs and always needs is Jesus Christ. The answer to every question is Jesus Christ. Well, what about this? Jesus Christ. Well, Jesus Christ. It always is. But more than that, the seed God words is described as the living and abiding words of his son. The alive and the remaining word of God. The word lives as God lives. It is the seed that ever lives. I want to just uh, uh, answer the question, is this the Bible? Is this the Bible? Does this mean that the way that we love uh, is that we get occasional Bible verses and we uh, give them to people so they can put them on their fridge? That's the answer. So is that the answer? Is what Peter's talking about the Bible? 
Well, if you go on, it says here, he quotes in 1 Peter, he says, verse 40, verses 6 to 8, all flesh is like grass and its glory like the flower of grass. The grass withers and the flower falls, but the word of the Lord remains forever. Now, I come from a strict Baptist background, so that was the Bible. The Bible does not remain. (laughs) But Jesus does. It's the words of Jesus. The words of Jesus. So can this be the Bible? No, because the Bible doesn't repay. But what you place in the heart of your brother while you are meeting their need will have eternal value. If you don't listen to the word of God, it's not going to have eternal value. So I just want you to grab hold of that, that what you can do is speak into people something that will bring heaven to them. Now you can know that. Most of us will go around sometimes and know that our situations haven't changed, but our perspective on them has changed. Why is that? It's because suddenly in Scripture, heaven has come to earth and you've been given that. So that's something that we can, we can not only bring our help, we can bring Jesus, we can pray with them, we can ask the Spirit of God can come upon them, and we can bring something to them that brings heaven on earth. I wanted to read a, a quote in, uh, uh, where are we? Uh, and just finish with this. And uh, There's going to be no ministry time or no songs. But I'm, I'm going to ask you to do one thing on your, abs, uh, on your way out. I wanted to read something. This is uh, written in uh, 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 133 AD. And it's written by uh, a guy called Aristides. And Aristides was a philosopher. And uh, he presented a defense to Christianity to the emperor Hadrian. Hadrian. Remember Hadrian? Hadrian's wall and all that stuff. He presented a paper to him which was interesting because at the time Emperor Hadrian was thinking about killing him. So the worst thing that you can do is present a paper to the person that is going to kill you. But anyway, this is part of his paper. When you read this, I want you to think about how you would defend yourself and save your life. But this is what, this is what Emperor Hadrian... And the result of this actually was that Hadrian led him off. He was so struck by this. He just thought, this guy is genuine. And he let him go. So anyway, I'll read you the first paragraph and then I'll read you the bit that applies to us. He said this. So Aristides Aristides stood up and he said, Christ died and was buried. And they say that after three days he rose and ascended to heaven. And and then these twelve disciples went forth into all the kingdoms of the world, uh, telling of his greatness with all humility and sobriety. Whence... They were uh, whence they who were st- uh, still ser- sorry whence they who still serve the righteousness of his preaching are called Christians who are well known. That was his introduction. He then goes on. He said, "Now, the Christians, O King, have commandments that the Lord Jesus Christ Himself graven on their hearts, and they observe, looking for the resurrection of the dead and the life of the world to come." They commit neither adultery nor fornication, they do, they, uh, nor do they bear false witness, nor, they, did, nor, nor do, sorry, they do not deny a deposit nor covet another man's goods. They honour father and mother and they love their neighbours. They give right judgment 
And they do not worship idols in the form of man. They do not unto others which they should not have done unto themselves. They comfort such as wrong them. They make friends of them. They labor to do good to their enemies. They are meek and they are gentle. As for their servants or their handmaids or their children, if any of them has any, they persuade them to become Christians for the love they have towards them. And when they have become so, they call them without distinction brothers. They despise not the widow, grieve not the orphan. He has, he has distributeth liberally, uh, sorry, liberally to him that hath not. If they see a stranger, they bring him under their roof and rejoice over him as if he was their own brother. For they call themselves brethren, not after the flesh, but after the spirit of God within them. And if they hear that any of their number is imprisoned or oppressed for the name of their Messiah, all of them provide for his needs. And if possible, that, they, that he may be delivered, they deliver him. And if there's any amongst them, any man amongst them that is poor and needy, and they have not an abundance of their necessities, they fast for two or three days, that God may supply the needy with the necessary food. For Christ's sake, they are ready to lay down their own lives. That's by a book by uh, J. Stevenson, uh, The New uh, Eusebius. Uh, it's on page 50 to 56, if you'd like to know. And I just thought, don't you want to be known like that? Don't you just want to be known like that? Uh, will somebody write that of us in years to come? I just thought, wow, yes, I want to. So I want to ask you to do something over coffee. I want to ask you to do this. I want you to ask you to not go to the ones that you would normally go to to have coffee. Because let's just be honest. Uh, at this point, we just want to have coffee with some of the people that we can, just friends. And I too am like that. I will generally go to the ones that I know that I can have a bit of a laugh with and nobody will have a slight over me sermon. So, that, so I just do that. I, want, I would like you to not either, you know, talk about, you know, the football or whatever or anything like that or anything. But I'd like to, I'd like to uh, go to somebody that you normally don't, if you can, um, you know, if you can't do it, then I understand. Just go to somebody you normally do and ask them and say, what would be one thing that I could pray for you this week? Give me one thing. And then when you've done that, you know, go and do that. So go and meet with people that you don't normally meet and then ask them one thing that you could pray for them this week. And then this week, why don't you spend some time are praying for the person that you haven't normally prayed for. Let me pray. Father, we thank you for your word. And Lord, I just want to confess, sometimes I find your word very challenging <laughs> and odd. It's not always easy, Lord. But Lord, I, I do want to say it is my desire and 
as the guys leading the church, it is also my desire that we, that we might be better at this <laughs> and be more obedient to you. And Lord, we know that in your word here that it says that, you know, that uh, if we're filled with your spirit, we'll just do this better. So I want to ask us for the body of Christ, of Gateway Church Wrexham, Lord, would you fill us with your spirit so that we can uh, love one another and demonstrate Jesus and the gospel and so honour you. <laughs> it's not about bringing honour to ourselves. It is about bringing honour to you in Jesus' name. Amen.